welcome to episode two of the Lost Boys. I'm Tandy, joined by Bo Matt Courier. Say hi, Bo Matt. Hi, Bo Matt. Welcome to the show. We got a nice one for you today. Uh, so, uh, for starters, Matt, uh, you know, I'm going to let you talk for a little bit. I know that I bulldozed you in the first episode about my experience on my trip to Gen Con, but you actually had like a pretty nice weekend yourself this weekend. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. So I went to, uh, Durham, North Carolina, just, uh, you know, less than three hours, pretty quick drive on Friday night for a, it was a magic, the gathering event primarily, uh, day one was modern. I kind of bombed out playing burn. But then on day two, I played Mono Green and Pioneer and actually ended up making top eight. Got to, you know, meet and hang out with a bunch of people. Uh, it was called The Gathering, actually, which uh, Fitting. worked out. There was a ton of gathering. Uh, but I also got to play a bunch of Lorcana. I brought three decks with me. The Aggro Bodyguards deck that I posted about on our Patreon uh, this week. And a Control deck and the kind of ramp combo deck that I've been calling Fast Bond. Uh, so fast bond is a, a magic card for those of you unaware, and uh, it it was a card that lets you play multiple resources per turn. In magic, they're called lands. So imagine a card that lets you play a bunch of resources per turn, aka I assume bell, strange but is it strange but special? That's the one. Yep. Yeah, that one's letting you play a bunch of extra inkwell or ink to your inkwell per turn, right? Yeah. So there's bell, and then uh, the arguably, at least in this deck, a uh, better card, Fishbone Quill, which uh, is an item that you can exert to put any card from your hand into your inkwell. So what you usually do with Fast Bond in Magic is you play cards like Wheel of Fortune that say you, everyone discards their hand and draws seven cards, and then you just get to keep playing lands and you have way more mana than your opponent. Uh, and coincidentally, Lorcana has the exact same card in A Whole New World. So the Fast Bond deck as I'm calling it, is uh, Steel and Sapphire. is trying to draw a bunch of cards, get a bunch of ink into play, and then keep doing that and right. playing bigger stuff in your play. I've heard that uh, this build is decking people. Like, I actually thought that that was kind of interesting because decking is something that we didn't really figure out too often in, in Magic until Millstone became, like, a popular card and, and like, control right, decks right. ran the world. And uh, is it is yeah. it playing anything like that, or is it like kind of comboy, just like explosive? No, yeah, the uh, this deck, I really haven't had that experience except when playing against like uh, the control decks that will make the game go super long. But I'm definitely seeing people talk about this. They're playing a whole new world in various other decks and just trying to play the card as many times as possible in a game and uh, hope their opponent runs out of cards first. I'm a little bit skeptical as to whether this is a great strategy, but yeah. it's definitely like a weird and interesting thing that people are pretty excited about. Yeah, I'm super stoked to play a whole new world with all the mana acceleration or ink acceleration that we have. You know, there's yeah. um, uh, Mickey Mouse Detective. There's uh, One Step Ahead. You know, I think these cards are great. Even Ga Gamma. Gamma's getting in there. Gamma Tala. Doing her best impression of uh, Old Sakura Tribelder from Magic the Gathering. So... Uh, but we're yeah. not here to talk about Magic the Gathering. We're here to talk about Lorcana. And uh, this weekend you played a little bit with, with those decks. So tell us your favorite of those three decks and kind of give us like your best two-minute pitch on, on what that deck does and let us know if you're going to be writing about it anytime soon for the Patreon. Yeah, absolutely. So my personal favorite definitely is the Fastbond deck. It's a Steel Sapphire Ramp. Um, essentially, like I said, you're trying to get a bunch of ink into play, and then draw a bunch of cards with a whole new world. You also get cards like uh, Tinkerbell Giant Fairy, of course, Ooh. and grab your sword to keep your opponent under control. But one of the interesting things about this deck is that we found pretty quickly in testing that if you're playing against a control deck that has cards like uh, Maleficent, Monstrous Dragon, and uh, you know Hades, Elsa, uh, things like that, you can... You know, draw your you and your opponent a bunch of cards and still end up behind after they, you know, get rid of your whole board with a be prepared or something like that. So we kind of needed another plan. So we're also playing Beast's Mirror, which is a Ooh. two cost item. Yeah, that lets you pay three and exert it to draw a card if you have no cards in hand. So basically against these control decks, unless it's like a really good situation for you where they have a ton of cards in hand and they're behind on ink. You're trying not to play a whole new world at all and just repeatedly draw cards with Beast's Mirror 
yeah. and uh, use your ink for that. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, you know, when we play Magic, uh, you know, there are different Wheel of Fortune type effects where you'll discard, each player discards their hand and draws seven. And if you play it against an aggro deck with a bunch of burn cards in their hand, they can just use those resources and blast you down. And so you have right. to be really careful how you use them. And and with Whole New World, I think it's like people are getting introduced to this, uh, you know, from a different angle and in a different game. But uh, a lot of those same things are, are the same where like it can backfire very easily. So you got to be a little careful when you do it. Yeah, and like I was saying, I uh, the first few experiences I had with a whole new world uh, all turned out great for me, but I was only the one playing it like half the time. <laughs> you <right>. know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. My opponent played it. And I'm like, oh, great. This feels <laughs> this feels excellent. I have everything I need. Yeah. All right. So your release uh, day for Lorcana, um, did so? Did you actually get to pick up any uh, product when you were at the event? Did, was there any vendors there selling Lorcana stuff? Uh. There were, I believe, uh, my roommate Brayden uh, at Brayden MTG on Twitter. Uh, he was able to get a hold of a few things. Nice. Uh, Ryan Presti as well at Tron is Bad. Uh, I was a little more focused on the magic when all that was getting you know, picked over, but I was able to pick up some uh, starter decks at uh, our local store the morning of. Yeah, uh, I'd like to take this time to talk about my experience this weekend. Um, so... Yeah. The uh, local game store around Roanoke that's not the big one, uh, it's called Blade Gaming. And uh, Blade Gaming, you know, I called them up on uh, Saturday and asked them, you know, what they were doing. And they said they were having a big release event on Sunday uh, starting at 1 p.m. And so I got one of our directors to follow me down there. And uh, we just went in under the expectations of, you know, meeting uh, the players, talking to the store owners, picking up some product for ourselves. and, And that was that. When I got there, we got there a little early, I'll be honest. And uh, it was like relatively empty. And I was like kind of disappointed at first. And I was like, okay, well, let's see if we can figure out what to do and and still make something out of it. And uh, we go up to the counter. I started talking to uh, one of the owners, a couple of the employees. And uh, I asked them, you know, what can I buy? And they give me the short list of things that I'm allowed to buy. But there's like a a limit to everything that you can buy as well because they just don't have the allocation. And that was also a little bit of a bummer. So I was like, okay, let's just see what I can buy. I'm going to buy everything I can buy and then we'll talk about it. And uh, I got like a deck box, some sleeves, uh, some of the uh, starter decks. And that was it. That was all I could buy. I couldn't couldn't buy booster packs. They were saving them for organized play. And... Uh, and I was like, OK, well, uh, they have like a little room upstairs. We went inside and uh, Dan May, our director, he was just like, you know, recording me talking about the stuff we got. And uh, we got one of the employees to come talk about Lorcana and uh, oh, the, ex- really? the experience from that side of things. Like, what's the vibe been like? What's the the whole whole shebang? Right. And uh, they were very excited about the game. And it got me a little more excited about the game. Just listening to him talk. It was really cool. And then. uh we were there for about 15 20 minutes and then when we come back downstairs there's just like a full room oh my god yeah like in within 30 minutes i think it went from being mostly empty to mostly full and uh the one of the cool things and i you know i don't i don't want to like um you know set expectations like really high or anything like that because this is a brand new game there's like yeah, a lot of pitfalls that uh, new games and new companies can can get into. But like, there was thirty people playing their starter sealed tournament, and it wasn't just a bunch of Magic players. It was uh, multiple multiple people that I know, like friends of mine, who were there with multiple children of theirs that are now of age to start learning these games. Um, wow. You know, former coworker, uh, current coworker of you, Jared Silva, was there with his two kids. Um, yep. and we got to talk to them and, and they were having a blast and, you know, they're big Disney heads, just like we all are. We're all big Disney heads. We all have Disney plus, we all have access to these movies and watch them our entire lives. And like yeah. now, now there's just like a whole generation of adults that get to share that with their kids. And there's a game that's like relatively easy to learn, but still has a lot of depth to it. And yeah, it was just, it was wonderful. And I got to interview a couple people. Uh, we did a lot of B-roll footage. We talked to some of the kids, you know, with their parents' permission, of course. And uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Very eye-opening for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish I could have experienced some of that, but I'm going to try to get out to the store uh, these next couple weekends and see what they have going on as well. Awesome. Uh, and I also want to give, give a little shout out to Blade Gaming uh, for letting us come in there and do that stuff. We appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. 
Um, yep. All right, so uh, Lorcana Day release vibes, I would say, were immaculate, uh, but we have some more stuff to talk about, so let's go ahead and move on to that. Um, all right, so we're going to start a new segment, and I haven't decided what to call this one yet, but it's just uh, okay. favorite card right now, Matt. Give it to me. It's Tinkerbell Giant Fairy. Yes! Yes! <laughs> but why? It's just... There's just so much you can do with it. Like, yeah, it wipes all your opponent's things and you have this great safety blanket. Uh, but, you know, you can shift and sing something right away or you can just start taking down bigger stuff. Uh, and you know what? It's even inkable. Like, <laughs> yeah, I probably would have played this card without that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but sometimes you need to ink it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Steel uh, wants to do uh, area of effect damage. We shorten that to AoE yep. just for those of you who are new to gaming terms like that, but area of effect or AOE is when you do small chunks of damage to like a group of right. monsters or characters and steel does that well. And Tinkerbell is just like one example of it. Grab your sword is another great example of it, but there are other characters uh, that, you know, when they exert, they deal damage to something. So like you yes. can find these little tricky combinations where you use Tinkerbell to just like chew up your opponent's entire side of their board. And I, that's why I, I like I like Tinkerbell a lot, too. So, yeah. So I was talking to someone about this this weekend um, where they were talking about Hans, uh, the steel Hans It says when you quest with it, uh, you do one damage to ch a chosen character. And they were saying they didn't really feel like the one damage mattered that often. But my experience has been the opposite yeah. with like Tinkerbell and grab your sword and fire the cannons and smash your steel decks that are playing all these cards, there's just damage kind of accumulating on your opponent's characters all the time. And Hans being able to just pick anything and finish it off has really been great. So that's another card I love along with all these great steel cards. All right. So I'll do mine now. So uh, Matt, say, what's your favorite card? Say really loud. All right, Todd, what's your favorite card? My favorite card right now is Stitch Rockstar. This six mana, oh, yeah. this six mana Amber, uh, character, you know, features the iconic Stitch uh, up on stage, singing his heart out. And he works extremely well with uh, cheap characters that cost one or two ink. And when you play them, you get to exert them and draw a card. Uh, it can also shift and it doesn't have to exert itself to do any of its abilities. And so if your opponent doesn't directly right. remove it or right. exert it with one of their cards like Elsa, uh, you're going to be able to just kind of leave this in play unfettered and just chain around it with your your cheap cheap characters and i think that some decks just won't be able to handle that i think it'll be great for really aggressive decks to have this finishing move where they can play this this character and then on their next turn they just go wild and even if you're able yeah. to to contain some of it you know it snowballs from there especially if you don't deal with the stitch immediately so big fan exactly like tinkerbell is pretty good against stitch but the thing about the card stitch rockstar itself you know, all the characters you play out, uh, a lot of them maybe get eaten up by uh, Tinkerbell or Grab Your Sword. But Stitch with five willpower is like probably going to stick around. So you just kind of start forcing them to do this every turn. Right. You just reload and reload and your hand is still the same size. Yeah, and I, I think you'll be able to get to some situations in games like this, too, where you'll be able to shift onto a Stitch for four and then still have two or three ink available and use that to play one or two characters. And then it already has kind of replaced itself. Even if they do kill yeah. it, it's very similar to in magic where like if something draws a card and you go and you destroy it, you're still minus one overall resource. And I think that in a game like this, the resource generation is very important because so many of the, the cards double as your actual resource in ink. And so you have to make these early yeah. game decisions like, do I play this as an ink? Do I hold it? Uh, how much ink do I want? And Stitch just kind of throws it out the window. The more ink you have, just like the more you can play these right. little one, two mana things that draw cards. It's awesome stuff. All right. Uh, right. Moving on. Um, so I know that you've been playing a good bit of Tabletop Simulator and Pixelborn, ways to play right. Locana online. And we're going to have uh, some videos coming out in the next week or two where we try to use those. And we'll also be using those to make competitive content where Matt and I do fight each other. And uh, if that's something y'all are interested in, make sure to check out both Tabletop Simulator. It's on Steam and Pixelborn. And I don't know where Pixelborn's at, uh, but we'll, we'll put out like a, a link to how to do it and stuff. Yeah, um, it's out there. 
And uh, so, Matt, since you've been playing Constructed quite a bit, uh, I know that you're pretty high on this fast bond deck that you've been working on with all the ink acceleration with Bell and and, and the uh, uh, whole new world where you draw seven. But is the Constructed format as a whole, I would like you to just spend some time explaining to me what you think Constructed chapter one is going to look like and uh and and like what decks or even what cards do you think are going to be the most prevalent as well as most dominant right so uh last week i wrote an article that was just kind of a a primer on uh sapphire ruby control which i called the level one of the format meaning that like this is going to be our starting place this is what the metagame is going to build around and pretty quickly uh after that we saw level one be iterated upon people started playing ruby amethyst control decks where you're still controlling the board with be prepared and maleficent but you're adding in card draw effects instead of ramp like friends on the other side and the queen and uh that pretty much uh that very strongly reduced the amount of ruby sapphire that people were playing because it's really hard to beat you know, a deck that's playing the same board control tools you are, but also gets to draw more cards. Yeah. So uh, that Ruby Amethyst uh, control deck is very popular right now, and people are looking for as many ways as possible to uh, attack that deck. Uh, like Amber and Emerald, a lot of Amber decks. Um, I know Amber Steel, a couple different variations are getting pretty popular. Uh, I've been enjoying one I built uh, with a bodyguard theme. Um, but people are also playing with Ariel and A Whole New World uh, as kind of a song deck that's also including Stitch. And there's still, you know, the more I play, the more I'm convinced, like, there's other uh, other decks out there. I'm exploring uh, Sapphire and Amethyst uh, with no Ruby at all. I'm exploring Emerald in various combinations. Steel, I think, has, like... The world at its fingertips. Yeah. You can let's, pair Steel with almost anything, right? <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk about Steel for a minute, because I actually really like uh, some of, like, there's a couple of different really aggressive decks that a couple of people in our Discord have been working on and talking about, and uh, I, I don't want to go, like, too hard on Steel, because we've already talked about how they do the AoE damage and, and the big Tinkerbell Fairy and stuff like that, but I do want to note that Amber has actually been the color that I think has been the most aggressive in terms of um, how cheap the characters are compared to how much lore they can gain. And they have yep. tons of defensive maneuvers with the bodyguard mechanic. And so tell me what you think about Amber as, as like a core identity in competitive uh, Lorcana. Yeah, Amber definitely has been uh, the preeminent uh, aggro color. Um, Lilo is a big centerpiece of this. One of only two cards in the game that's uh, one ink and two lore. So there's a bunch of these aggressive Amber decks. Uh, the best follow-up to a Stitch, to a, sorry, a Lilo on turn one is a Simba. Uh, Amber Simba with Bodyguard is just incredible, right? Yeah, so is that uh, the one, is it 2-3 Bodyguard? Is that why it's good? Because it has three toughness or three willpower? Right, exactly. So uh, if you start with a Lilo... Your opponent starts with any of the other one-cost creatures like Flounder, uh, that's a 2-2. You get to quest with your Lilo, play a Simba, exerted, and your opponent is just way behind. So Simba definitely has been one of the most important cards uh, for any aggro deck. Uh, just as a common, it's like one of the best cards in the set. Yeah, uh, I know that the price actually on the baby Lilo is actually kind of uh, going through the roof because it is going to be... Like right. the iconic aggressive card. There's actually one other card that costs one that taps for two lore. What uh, what's the name of that one, and and what color is it in? That is Maleficent. I don't quite remember her name, but that's uh, Amethyst, and exactly the same as Lilo, uninkable, one cost, one one with two lore. Uh, I haven't seen as many Amethyst aggressive decks, which is interesting. Um, you know, uh, one of our friends, Taryn from Apex Gaming. Uh, posted a very aggressive Amber and Amethyst deck, just uh, as many cheap characters as possible. Mm. Um, really using that mulligan mechanic to find those one drops, huh? Yeah. Well, I don't know. He's got enough in there. I don't know if he ever needs to mulligan. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but, but, you know, what he's really looking to do is 
play one drop on turn one and then two more on turn two. So can't really have enough. All right. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at in the uh, the overall metagame. There's like a couple of aggressive decks running around. There's the ramp deck with some big finishers. Sapphire, I think, being the color that is ramping the most, uh, feels like for it's sure. going to have, at, at the very least, it's going to have like the biggest magnifying glass on it for a little while, just because people want to do the big splashy fun stuff. You know, accelerating your right. ink in casting uh, Hades, you know, seven mana Hades uh, a, a couple of turns ahead of schedule is very it's a very good feeling i you know i got to do it one time and it was quite strong and my yeah. opponent was really sad that their giant stitch or genie or whatever got put into the ink zone so um yeah okay uh other than that you know we got a smattering of decks but mostly people are just getting into the game in in what i would consider a very out natural sort of way you know people are getting the starter decks, they're buying two starter decks and smooshing them together and getting yep. a few booster packs and then upgrading their smoosh deck together. And we actually had a really great article on that on our Patreon by uh, another one of the Lost Boys, Zach Weaver, who's going to be helping us right. do written content over on the Patreon. And, uh, uh, you know, all the articles that we have right now are going to be free until further notice. So make sure if you're interested in that type of written content, the very nitty gritty how to get better at tournaments, how to understand the game better. If that's what you're looking for, our Patreon is going to be exactly where you want to go. And we're going to have a link on the bottom of the screen for you. It's patreon.com slash lostboyslor. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at with Constructed. Uh, But for me, I kind of want to talk about uh, something else. Uh, Constructed's fun. But what about Mm -hmm. Limited? What about Limited, Matt? What do you think about Limited so far? I... Can't wait to try it. I haven't gotten an opportunity yet to try limited, but uh, you know I love drafting in Magic. I love cube drafting also in Magic. I'm really excited to check it out in Lorcana and see what that looks like. Yeah, so right, I'm I'm really looking forward to it myself as well. Uh, I've been really enjoying just playing with the the starter decks against each other, and I, I know a lot of people have been doing the exact same. And I'm gonna like yeah. teach my wife how to play Lorcana in a little while and then she hopefully will teach some of her friends how to play. And we're doing that with the starter decks. And I think that they're a great yep. tool for doing exactly that because it's actually pretty hard to build a 60 card deck and constructed when you just don't have the ability to buy more than six packs at a time. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. It might take a while. Yeah. So uh make sure to check out the starter decks. They're very good. But for actual limited uh, I want to go over some of the rules that they've kind of outlined. And if I make any mistakes, I'd love for you to correct me, Matt, but I'm going to give my best. Sure. Uh, this is what I think limited for Lorcana looks like. Uh, so for draft, you take uh, four booster packs, you sit around in a circle, you draft the same way you would do in Magic, where you open a pack, you take a card, you pass 11 to your left, and you go around until the pack's done. Pack two, you do the same thing in reverse. Three, you go back the original way. Four, you go back in reverse again. Once you're done, you'll end up with 48 cards. Now, right. the, the format is prismatic, which means that any card that you take is legal to be played in your deck. There's no two-color restriction because it would be way too hard in how the, the, the game is constructed right. and how the cards are built. Um, you also uh, can... No, I think that's it. I think that's about right. Yep, those are the rules for draft that we've gotten so far. Okay, and it's 40-card deck, right? So you're only cutting right. eight cards. All right. And now, exactly. uh, for sealed deck... What's sealed deck like? Have you played? Have you heard about sealed deck? I actually am unsure how sealed deck works, or if there even is sealed deck. No. So the the closest I've heard is at Gen Con, right? The starter deck event where you got to add, I believe it was three packs to your starter deck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't heard any. They, I imagine it was probably in an email that got sent out to LGS owners. But I would guess just uh, four packs. No, it was six packs. I might have heard. Uh, with 40 card decks and still no color restrictions. I believe that's the sealed rules, but cool. don't quote me. All right, so that those are the different kinds of limited you can play. Uh, personally, I, I love the two-color restriction, and I would yep. love if we found a way to play limited where the two-color restriction is just like a real thing, and it's always a right. real thing, because otherwise, uh, you know, you, there's just different rules for different formats, and we we've talked about that kind of thing in Magic for... Two decades uh having different right. mulligan rules having different you know drawing number of cards in a turn rules and stuff like that and I, I just don't feel like that's in the spirit of things i would love the the like sealed deck or you know the limited uh you know pro tour qualifier format or equivalent 
to be the precon, the starter decks that we can buy. And then, like you said, just mm-hmm. open three boosters and juice them. But I want to juice them with only cards of the colors that you open, right? And right. so do you think it would be feasible to do like, okay, open up three booster packs, check your rares, and then you can choose your starter deck after? Right. So, yeah, this is uh, this is my preferred way of playing with the starter decks. This is something I really want to try out because the the way it worked at, you know, Gen Con, right, where they hand you a starter deck and then you open your packs. They did allow uh, any color, but if you wanted to have color restrictions, opening those packs would not really be a great experience, right? Because there's about on average two cards of every color in every pack. So uh, I believe that comes out to 12 cards out of 36. Those are the only ones you care about when you open your packs. Yeah, some of those so, might not even be very good. So <laughs> Exactly. So I really think the uh, the strategic decision of looking at your cards in your packs and then deciding what deck would I most like to add these to? Which of two colors of these cards do I want to lean towards? Uh, I think is really interesting, and I'm looking forward to getting a chance to try that out. Yeah, uh, awesome. Me too. Uh, you know, I, I think the color identity thing is just a, a nice focal point for deck building. It's right. a really good restriction. And when I heard that limited was prismatic, where you could play any color, I it turned me off a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm still very excited about the game. Still very excited about Constructed. Limited, unless we can figure out a way to to kind of fuse both worlds together. I think I'll probably stick to Constructed or just playing the starter decks right. for now. So I, I did have the, and still do have kind of the same concerns about the multicolor. But I did just want to mention I've uh, talked to a couple people that said they were able to get in drafts. And that they felt great about it, you know. Really? Uh, so the they, prismatic thing didn't feel weird or bad or whatever? It's just... Yeah, they, you know, one of the concerns is like, oh, you're just going to be taking the best card out of every pack. But they did feel like, based on the cards they had drafted so far, that they were leaning towards uh, different choices than maybe just what might look like the best card. Um, which, you know, there's some uh, actual experience testimonial, so... I can't really knock the official format too hard, but I'm also want to try alternatives. Yeah, and once we get our hands on some booster packs, you you can bet your bottom dollar we're going to be doing some some drafts ourselves. So. Oh yeah. All right, so Matt, we're going to be moving on here to a section that I want you to champion, but I'll give us a little bit of an intro here for. So the game of Disney's Lorcana is uh, at its core relatively simple to learn. But the engine itself is very stretchy, very squishy. There's a lot of room to maneuver. And so far, we've been given roughly 10 keyword abilities that are uh, on multiple cards. And then a smattering, just a a ton of different abilities that are unique to the characters that they're on. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, keyword abilities that uh, Matt's going to go over now. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Yeah, so the the first keyword I want to talk about is Bodyguard. I mentioned this earlier on Simba Protective Cub, uh, but overall this has been one of the most important mechanics in the game, uh, in my experience. This is only in Amber and Steel. Uh, There are four Amber Bodyguards, three Steel Amber Bodyguards, and one Item in Steel that uh, kind of boosts a Bodyguard deck. Cool. But... Just to uh, explain the mechanic real quick, in case you're not looking at a card right now, Bodyguard essentially means two things. One of them is an opposing character who challenges one of your characters must choose one with Bodyguard if able. And the other is that when you play a Bodyguard character, you can choose to play it exerted. All right, so, so I'm going to stop you there just because I want to ask some questions about this. So I know that when sure. we when we were playing... Bodyguard is a great way, I think, to protect these like really aggressive creatures that you play, like your one mana Lilos that lets you, you know, quest for two lore. Right. And so you want to curve into bodyguards that can protect that Lilo, and you want them to be of reasonable size. But in order to to use them, you do have to play them exerted, which does leave them vulnerable to those larger monster, larger opposing characters, right? Right. So you will see most of the bodyguards, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse Musketeer has seven willpower. So Ooh. it's not really going to be trivial to uh, to take these down for your opponent. But the important thing with the bodyguards is they have uh, more toughness than most characters of their cost. So Simba, for example, two cost two, three. Uh, 
maybe one of the only characters in the game with three willpower on a two-cost character. So this means if your opponent is keeping pace with you, they still won't be able to get through a, a Simba right away uh, if you play it on turn two and they're trying to challenge it on their second or third turn. Awesome. All right, so Bodyguard going to be used High, t- high willpower to protect your other uh, characters. Now, if two characters with bodyguard are on the table at once and both exerted, uh, what yep. happens? Uh, your opponent still must challenge something with bodyguard if they want to challenge anything at all, but they can choose which of those characters they want to challenge first. Awesome. I know in Magic we've had different abilities that uh, had caveats, and if there's multiple of the same, sometimes the owner gets to pick. But uh, yeah, I mean, great. That's awesome because, you know, you can get really confusing in a game like this because you don't right. interact on your opponent's turn at all, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, so this is w- one of the ways of influencing what your opponent is able to do. Uh, there's not all that many, but Bodyguard definitely stands out as a way to restrict your opponent's options. All right, so now that we've learned about Bodyguard, let's move on to the next ability you'd like to talk about. Next up is Rush. Uh, I wanted to talk about Rush second because it's actually one of the better uh, counters to Bodyguard. So Rush means that this character is able to challenge on the turn you play it. It can't quest and it can't sing, but uh, Rafiki, for example, three costs, three power, uh, three strength, three willpower, and Rush, you can play it on turn three and challenge something right away. Yeah, Rafiki seems like a, a great like mid-game card that you can use to challenge your opponent's one and two cost uh, characters and maybe catch you right. back up in spots where your deck's maybe a little too slow and you're starting to fall behind on lore. Right, so uh, if you think about you know a typical game, both players play a character on turn one, and then maybe the Amber player uh, plays a Simba and gets to quest with their Lilo. Uh that's one of the key interactions for the Simba player is I can now safely quest with my Lilo, even though my opponent has a character already, yeah. because my Simba is going to protect it. Rafiki and other Rush characters, of course, but particularly Rafiki uh, kind of flips all that on uh, his head. You play Rafiki, you challenge Simba, now your other characters can challenge the Lilo, the Aladdin, whatever Simba was protecting. Right. And, I, you know, Rush, I think, is a really undervalued mechanic right now. But Maui, the uh, I, I, I don't hero, to all. hero to all is just such an incredible card. Every time my opponents played it against right. me, it's just like completely squashed my biggest, you know, uh, exerted yep. character and then still had two or three toughness left over. It has a million strength compared to how much it costs to actually yeah. play. And honestly, the uh, the Enchanted Foil looks gorgeous. So. Oh, yeah, I bet. All right. And uh, I, there is actually uh, one more thing I wanted to mention about these two keywords uh, that's kind of fundamental to like understanding the game engine. And that's that bodyguard is kind of an aggressive mechanic and rush is definitely a defensive uh, mechanic. That's really cool to think about because in magic, when something has haste, right, it can come in, it can attack that yep. turn. But in here and and in the game in general, attacking is a mostly defensive maneuver. Exactly. So Maui Hero to All, we mentioned five cost, uh, 6-5 with Rush and Reckless, which means uh, can't quest and has to challenge. Maui is a defensive card. You're trying to uh, get rid of your opponent's characters right away before they can quest again and try to, uh, which is what your opponent's trying to do to end the game. Um, so yeah, rush, that's just, uh, that's something I really want to hammer home is that rush cards are defensive. They're going to be used in control decks to slow the game down. Yeah. I love it. All right. Tell me about the next mechanic on the list. Next up, uh, just real quick. The one I just mentioned that Maui also has is reckless. Mm -hmm. Uh, reckless says this character can't quest and must challenge each turn if able now I've seen uh, a, I've seen a card give reckless to an opposing character. I right. thought that that was pretty interesting. Is that something that you think will be like a a reused mechanic? Yeah. So there's uh there's a couple of these cards. Uh, Iago, John Silver, and the Beast is Mine, which is an action that gives a character reckless. This is just kind of taking advantage of that is a downside. You know, if you have a large character and you give your opponent's character reckless. 
they maybe have to challenge it and just lose their character altogether. But at the very least, they can't quest with that character. I haven't been uh, super impressed with this mechanic. John Silver is pretty good and does make use of it. Um, but overall, the most impressive reckless cards to me have been Maui Hero to All and Gaston Arrogant Hunter. Gaston is a two cost four two with just reckless, mm-hmm. and that's like pretty overstated, right? That's a a large character. Yes, I mean lar- large strength for sure, and allows it to challenge, you know, larger characters from your opponent's side via willpower. And uh, I think that'll be right. great with uh, things like the three cost Elsa that lets you exert it to exert an opposing character, and then you can right. use you know challenger characters or the Gaston to just beat down on your opponent's stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I think right. that that combination is, is going to be really strong and one you see quite a bit. Right. And just to come back to it, uh, we're seeing a lot re- revolve around Simba here. Gaston is also one of the good ways to keep pace with your opponent's Simba, because if you're going first, you get to play your Gaston and now their Simba looks pretty bad, right? They're just going to play it. You get rid of it with your Gaston and it's an even trade instead of the Simba to- totally taking over the board. Yeah, for sure. All right, next up. Next up, uh, Evasive and Ward. Starting with Evasive, uh, a character with Evasive can only be challenged by another character with Evasive. All right, so this is so, kind of like flying in magic, right? Yeah, kind of. Actually, it kind of seems more like Shadow, right? Shadow is a weird one that people don't really think about too much anymore, except on Dothy Voidwalker, right? But this right. It, Evasive is basically just like, you can't touch this. Call me MC Hammer. You know, put right. on, put me on some parachute pants. Now, ev- evasive is just like a very scary keyword for aggressive creatures, things that exert for a lot of lore when they quest. And right. um, and like, you know, if you don't have evasive of your own, you have to directly banish it with a spell, or you right. have. And there's only so many cards that do that, right? Uh, or you have to use an evasive character of your own, or there's also some characters that gain evasive sometimes on your own turn, right? Right. So this is actually uh, a good spot to talk to about a card that I haven't been seeing a ton of decks with, uh, but is definitely still on my radar, and that's Genie on the Job. Uh, Genie costs six. He's a 3-4 with two lore. He has evasive, and when you play him, you can return a character to uh, their player's hand. So early on, when I started looking into Lorcana, and we only had seen like half the cards... Genie was super popular. And the reason for that is you play him, you return your opponent's thing to their hand, right? Uh, you get some more board advantage back. But then Genie just kind of sits there questing. Forever. And there's not it's a lot evasive. your opponent can do at it. It's got evasive. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And as more cards have come out, uh, you know, we got the, the last 50 all in one day or whatever. People kind of uh, started looking in directions other than Genie. But this card is like still super impressive to mm. me, and this is one of the places that I'm going to be looking to like brew around is try to uh, see where Genie fits into this metagame. Well, one thing I want to point out about Genie is that in in Magic, a lot of times you'll use um, things like Mana War or uh, bounce effects like Riftwind Cloudskate, and they'll they'll come in and they'll bounce yep. your opponent's stuff and kind of remove that problematic game piece for a turn while you basically gain some breathing room. You're not dealing with it permanently. You're just kind of dealing with it temporarily. But in right. in Lorcana, damage is cumulative. It's permanent. So when you mm. uh, challenge your opponent's stuff, you know, if you're four or five, challenges your opponent's four four, it only needs to take one more uh, hit of damage before it's dead and gone. But with Genie, you can right. actually challenge your opponent's stuff, play the Genie, return your own card to your hand and kind of reset it. And then you can right. use it later, or you can even use it as an ink, right? If you can't play it that turn, it, it can be something you can play yeah, in your ink well. that's cool. So, a lot of really cool stuff, and, and like mechanics and abilities that we're used to seeing in other games. It's always really fun to me to just see how they interact in a new engine, because that 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 type of thing, bounce your, your, your opponent's thing, bounce your own thing, it's like ubiquitous in almost every... Uh, collectible right. card game i've ever played and here though with 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 damage cum- being cumulative i think it's just a dual-sided threat and also has the awesome evasive ability as well right so you know where my brain goes when you start talking about uh returning your own characters to get the damage off them yeah it's tinkerbell giant fairy oh yeah 
Yeah, so Tinkerbell has that great, you know, on-play effect, of course, one damage to all your opponent's stuff. But a thing you tend to see happen uh, after you've played your Tinkerbell is you want to challenge with it, uh, get that second ability to uh, into use, do two damage to some other thing. Puny but you pirates. can only do that... You can only do that once or maybe twice before your Tinkerbell just dies, right? Because yeah. it's pretty hard to remove damage from things. Uh, so Tinkerbell, after that first challenge, is kind of a threat that's just sitting there, but it'll be gone before too long. But using Genie to pick my Tinkerbell back up again, that sounds kind of great to me. I'm going to yeah. be looking into that. All right, cool. I'm glad I've given you some inspiration. All right, now you talked yeah. a little bit about uh, evasive, but there's another ability, Ward, that I think requires uh, a little bit of an explanation and also a lot to talk about it. Right, so evasive is this way that you can prevent your opponents from interacting with your characters through challenging. Ward is kind of the opposite. Ward says uh, opponents can't choose this character except to challenge. So that prevents cards like Dragon's Fire or Maleficent Monstrous Dragon that say choose something and banish it or even um you know elsa uh chosen character is exerted things like that uh just no touchy like uh cusco <laughs> says uh, you, you can't choose that no that that's really cool um i i think that ward is a great ability and anyone who plays you know fantasy games or games that involve magic they understand that a ward is like a protective spell and having right. ward on your character just means that it can't be hit with magic, but it can sure be hit with a giant club. <laughs> and right, and, and right. evasive, like you said, is kind of the opposite, where you know it can't be challenged, it can't be hit with a giant club. You can't beat up genie with a baseball bat. You know he'll just laugh it off and disappear behind you and put uh, like a top hat on your head or whatever, and then pull a rabbit out of it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but you know, but you can certainly hit genie with magic. It's hard because he's very strong in magic, but you know, right. So this is going to be an interesting thing to watch, right? As the uh, you know competitive metagame develops, if things are leaning towards more towards characters challenging each other in play, you might start to see evasive picking up. But then once people start playing uh, removal spells like Dragon's Fire to answer those evasive characters, I wonder if we'll start seeing Ward creep back in. Yeah, I mean, I think that both have their place, I, you know. They just yeah. seem like strong abilities that bottleneck your opponent in one way or another, and you could probably just fill your deck with both uh, sides of it, and your opponent's just going to draw the wrong type of answer at the wrong time and just get hosed from it. Right. So that's Ward. There's only a few characters with that. Uh, let's move on, actually, to Support. Support is interesting. There are a few blue cards... Uh, sorry, a few Sapphire cards and a few Amber cards with Support. It says, whenever this character quests, you may add their strength to another chosen character's strength this turn. Okay, so strength is only for challenging other characters. So you're going to see this probably right. with like low uh, strength characters kind of combining when they're activating for lore or some of their abilities. And they're going to give their strength essentially to one character. And then that character is going to go in and battle. This is not an ability that uh, I've seen come up all too often. Uh, maybe because a lot of the games I've been playing have been a little less focused around challenging, especially later in the game. But it definitely can do some super powerful stuff. Uh, so we've got this card. You know the good horse? Oh, yeah. Talking Maximus. About... Maximus, palace horse. Maximus is a five cost four five with one lore who says bodyguard and support. Nice. Now, so... when you, when you play it as a body card... Uh, as a bodyguard, does it also support when you play it as a bodyguard? No, support is only when a character quests. Ah, oh, that's still cool, though. I, I thought that, that would be like oh, yeah. a nice little melding of the abilities, but, you know, you can't have Maximus be too OP. You know, he's already pretty OP, if you ask me. Yeah, it just means you're incentivized to keep questing with Maximus, so he stays exerted on your opponent's turn to protect your characters. And then... uh it can really be a problem with for your opponent when you have, you know, a small creature like maybe one cost Simba or something like that just sitting around in play. And then you get to quest with your Maximus. Your Simba gets plus four power and just trades off for your opponent's Tinkerbell or something like that. Yeah, it's really something your opponents have to worry about. I actually really love that that mechanics in Amber as well, because Amber is the color that uh, 
heals, right? Rapunzel, there's a couple other cards right. that can heal. And when you're lending your strength to a smaller character than maybe a small character that has three, four, five willpower, sometimes you get in and you get to chew up like a larger opposing character and keep yours on the table. And then when you do that, you get to do Rapunzel, draw two or three cards, and it's, right. very, it's very hard to come back from that if you're an opponent, especially if Maximus is still bodyguarding everybody. Right. So I, I think it's uh, it's kind of hard to build a, a deck around support because you kind of have to count on uh, your opponents being, you know, being able to be challenged and being weak to that. But there are a few interesting cards with support that I'm uh, wondering if, if they'll sneak their way into decks at some point. Do you like, think um, do you think the uh, Elsa's that can exert your opponent's stuff? Do you think those will work really well with like not only um you know the 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 ability we're talking about but also with like challenger, you know, like where you your characters can just attack more when right. they're when they're pressuring your opponent's creatures? Yeah, that's definitely a, a good place to look, just being able to manipulate things into the place where your combat abilities are relevant. Uh one of the cards I really haven't seen uh you know seeing much play right now is uh Philoctetes. Apologies to Phil. I don't know how to just pronounce say that. Phil. He's he went by Phil, Phil the whole movie. He says it's just Phil. It's Danny DeVito, He's... it's Phil from Hercules. Alright, Danny DeVito. Uh two cost <laughs> sapphire card, three one with support. This is kind of an interesting stat line. Uh is extremely cheap. Uh and is almost guaranteed to be able to pump something else up enough to trade for kind of whatever you want on your opponent's side. Right now, maybe not. Uh, maybe people aren't looking at him as much because of cards like Tinkerbell. But uh, this is kind of an interesting card on rate that I'm, you know, looking forward to uh, checking out in the future when we have more cards. Maybe. All right. Uh, how many more abilities you got? Uh, we have a couple more. There's Challenger, there's Singer. I want to talk the most about Shift. Let's do let's do them all kind of down, and we'll just do quickly. We'll just kind of explain what they are, because I want everyone to know these keywords, sure. and I don't want to skip over any of them. Let's say a ch character has Challenger 2. That means whenever that character challenges, it gets plus 2 strength. Now, I know there's a, a one-cost one Captain Hook that does that. It's really cool. It's a 1-2, it's a right. and then it has Challenger for 2, so it can trade up for larger characters, but only when it's challenging, right? Right, that's uh, Captain Hook Forceful Duelist, and I think this is this card is a pretty good place to look if you're trying to be, you know, a more defensive deck, but be able to keep up with the aggressive decks. Because this is another card that trades really well into Simba. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, you kept talking about, you know, three willpower on the Simba and how it's good, and I kept thinking, man, that just means my Captain Hooks are going to be great. <laughs> right, right. All right, next up. Next up is Singer. Singer means uh, you'll see a card with Singer 5, like Ariel. That means that card can sing songs that cost 5 or less instead of the usual number, which would be 3 on Ariel. That makes sense. Uh, you know, a lot of the Disney princesses were kind of cracked singers or whatever. And, uh, right. you know, them just being able to sing bigger songs than what their, their ink cost is makes sense, you know. Yeah, so uh, Ariel, I believe we talked about it, her on our last episode. Mm -hmm. Ariel is a pretty powerful card. Um, there are actually only three singer cards in the first chapter. There's Ariel, there's Cinderella Gentle and Kind, who also has Singer 5, and then there's Sebastian Court Composer, which is a two-cost character with Singer 4. And one of the, one of the things that I think about uh, with regards to Singer is... There's also not that many songs in the first chapter, right? There's mm -hmm. only 12. Right. So if you're looking at these combinations of singer cards and songs, you can pretty easily narrow down like what you're able to do with what. Like Ariel can sing Whole New World and Let It Go and, and grab, your, grab sword. your Sword. Yeah. And Grab Your Sword. Yeah. yeah. But Sebastian, uh, the only three, there's two three-cost songs and a four-cost song. Uh, and those are the only ones Sebastian is particularly good at singing. But in future sets, if we start getting really powerful four-cost songs, we're really going to want to be looking back at Sebastian to yeah. see if he works well with them. 
And that's something that we actually do a lot in, in Magic, you know, when we're testing for right. tournaments and stuff. When when a new set comes out, sometimes its ability is like, oh, this is kind of cool. I wonder what, if they're going to print something uh, very specific in the next couple of sets that pairs well with it and offers like a, a powerful right. two-card interaction. And with Sebastian, it's pretty easy, right? The next time they make a, a four-cost song that has like an extraordinary ability ahead of schedule, like if you're able to cast it on turn three, you know, there's... um. Uh, there's so many possibilities with with singer especially on on something like sebastian that's so cheap to to begin with right or you could go the other direction as soon as we see uh maybe a five cost character with singer seven uh everyone's gonna go be prepared be prepared i want to sing be prepared with this yes i want to get that down on turn five. Oh yeah all right so uh how many more abilities left uh looks like we're just looking at the last one which is shift all right, what's Shift, and uh, what are we going to do with it? Shift is on primarily more expensive cards. Uh, it is an alternate cost to play your characters if you put them on top of another character with the same name. So uh, one of your favorites, Stitch Rockstar, normally costs 6, but also has Shift 4. So if you have another Stitch in play, you can pay 4 instead and put Stitch on top of that card. Yeah, I, I think that that ability is, is pretty sweet for just allowing your more expensive things to be slightly less expensive. Um, yep. Does it come with any drawbacks? Um, not really. You could say uh, if a character has damage on it, it'll still have that damage after it shifts. But for the most part, shifting is an upside because there are no restrictions on what you can do with a shifted character. It can challenge, it can quest, it can sing right away. Awesome. Okay. That's that's pretty interesting. Is there is there any uh, other shift card besides uh, the Stitch Rockstar or the Tinkerbell Giant Fairy that you're like super into that you want to try out and constructed? Yeah, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what people do with Doctor Facilier. Uh, this is a seven cost for a four five quest for three lore has shift five. And says, whenever one of your other characters is banished in a challenge, you may return that card to your hand. It's which is a bonkers powerful ability. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's... that's I, I know that there's a couple of cards that do something similar. The the four-cost Mickey does that with your broomsticks. Right. The one from yeah. Fantasia. But, uh, but doing it with any of your characters, you know, that just means your Rafikis are going to just be able to rush down your opponent's whole side of the table. Right, right. And this is one of the cards, uh, really one of the reasons he's on my radar is from playing those starter decks, right? Right. Dr. Facilier is in the Amber Amethyst starter deck, and it's just, man, it can be really hard to win when your opponent gets him down. All right, Matt, so that's all the keywords in Lorcana. Thank you so much for explaining those, and I hope that you at home are able to more readily understand all the abilities that Lorcana has to throw at you. Now, to be clear, those are just the ones that show up across multiple cards, but many of right. the characters, especially the rares and the mythic rares and the legendaries, they have their own special abilities that have their own flavorful name and effect on the game. So make sure you know what all the cards do if you're going to be entering into a tournament, or else you might get surprised by some blasting cannons from your uh, your opponent's uh, exile zone or whatever, right? Just because yeah. you just don't know that Captain Hook brings back blasting cannons, so... Yep, fire the cannons. Yeah. All right. Moving on, uh, I'm going to take the the next, I don't know, a few minutes or whatever. Uh, I want to talk about sure. something very specific uh, that we got cooking. And some of the stuff, Matt, you don't even know. So I would love to hear your okay. your feedback. And I would love to, to basically get, like, the player's perspective on what we're trying to do. Okay? Sure. All right. So the Lost Boys are going to be working with Apex Gaming. Uh, Apex Gaming is a store in Caldwell, Ohio. We've been currently working with them to run magic tournaments. And uh, it's not just like standalone magic events, though. It's a series kind of revolving around Ohio with a bunch of local game stores that Kyle Huck, the owner, has reached out to them and formulated his own magic series. And he essentially sells invitational qualifiers to these stores. And if they purchase those, they get uh, you know one or two qualifications to the invitational that Kyle puts the bill for himself. And uh, they also get a big swag bag that the sponsors provide. And the sponsors right now are Ultimate Guard. Now, yeah. there's nothing at all for Lorcana. 
uh, in this vein uh, yet because it's brand new. But their organized play system that they've already announced uh, is essentially just focused on store-based play. And I, I think that that's spectacular. I think that, you know, especially yeah. considering the woes of them being unable to get booster packs, like, you know, enough to actually sell to their customers and uh, to meet demand, uh, you're going to have, at least for the first few months, you're just going to have uh, very few people that have a full, real, powerful constructed deck with four of all the cards that they want. That's just a lack of supply. And and in order to to combat that, what I wanted to do is I, instead of doing like a big open, you know, uh, blowout event for uh, everyone to join, what I want to do is I want to invite sixteen of the biggest names in Magic, or sixteen of the people who will answer the phone when I call them, <laughs> and we're gonna yeah. have we're gonna have them come to Caldwell, Ohio, and participate in a sixteen person invite only invitational. Uh, where we're going to put up $5,000 in prizes. Okay? Yep. How's that sound to you? That sounds awesome. Uh, it's a great way to really show off the game and like what it can be at its peak, right? If uh, you've got these very good players uh, you know, trying their hardest to get at this prize pool. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're looking at. And um, tentative date right now, and this is for you, for y'all at home. You know, this is just what we're working on. I'm I'm very open when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, we're planning this event uh, for October the twentieth weekend, and uh, October the twentieth is a Friday. Um, and uh, we're gonna have you know like a media day on Friday, hopefully, where we do some interviews and we do like deck tax and talk about the decks that people are gonna be playing and stuff. And uh, and we're but that's not all. I want to do Lorcanicon, okay? That's my okay. dream. My dream is Lorcanicon. And what Lorcanicon is is a multi times per year event where we essentially rent out a giant space whether it's a ballroom in a mm -hmm. Holiday Inn or a big room at a convention center, but what I want to do is I want to have an invitational that is something you can acquire an invite to via playing in a tournament circuit and the tournament circuit okay. is going to be very similar to what we've been doing with apex where the stores around apex can purchase in uh, a qualifier package and you can play at your yep. local game store and qualify for the main event at Lorconicon. that's the dream okay now at Lorconicon, i also want to offer additional uh festivities for everyone involved and for the Event on 1028, it's going to be minimal. And I'll say that now because we just don't know exactly how much product we're going to be able to get. I don't know if people are going to be able to bring constructed decks in mass. And so for 1020, uh, we are essentially just going to do the 16-person invite. And then our store is going to be open for anyone to come play Lorcana. And if we have booster packs to do drafts, we'll do that. If we don't, we'll probably just do the league play like uh, like Lorcana has advised all the local game stores to do. Um, but ideally, you know, we have people from all over the industry and not just in Lorcana, but also in Magic, like where we're from, like most of our friends play Magic. Yeah. And I want to basically bring like the Jerry Thompsons of the world and I want to bring Mason Clark and I want to bring streamers, Young Dingo. I want to bring those people into the fold yeah. and I want them to play Lorcana Maybe even for the first time, right? I don't really care if they do prep. Sure. I just want them to show up and and fight. And I want them to see how good the game is. And I want them to have fun. The same way that I've been experiencing the game and having fun. Which is just right. like very competitive background. But with an eye on flavor, you know? Like I, I see these cards and I see um, like special abilities that just have names of things from the movie. Or... You know, the names of the songs are literally just bursting from my lips whenever I read them out loud. I can't help myself. Right. Yeah, I know the feeling. And so I just want the greater magic community to see this and to know that there's someone with something like this in the works. Now, yeah. here is my grand vision. And maybe I'm, I'm giving it away or whatever. I don't care. This is what I want to do. And if someone copies me and so be it, whatever. Um, so next year. I would like to hold three invitational events and at the three invitational events, I want one of them to be uh, at the home store in Caldwell, Ohio. And at the other mm -hmm. two, I want to be in major uh, hubs that people can fly to if they want to. 
Uh, I haven't, you know, we haven't figured out which cities yet. I don't know exactly. This is all just big picture stuff, but I want to do three major events. And at this event, I want to do the Lokana Invitational, which price pool to be determined. I want to do uh, a Lorcana Open, and that one's uh, you know some amount to join with a prize pool between five and ten thousand dollars. And then I want to also do a Juniors Division, and I want I want oh. I want kids to be able to come to LorcanaCon with their families, and I I want them to to feel like they have a space to play against other people of like similar uh, you know knowledge of the game, and I I think it would be really an underwhelming for a younger kid to come to Lorconicon and play in the main event and just get beat mm-hmm. by a deck that's just all chase rares. You know, the it's like someone who's been reading articles and stuff. Like, I don't want that type of experience for kids at the beginning, right? I want kids to be able to jump to that when they want to. And and the main event's going to be open for everybody. But for the juniors division, um, I think we want to do 15 and under. And I think 15 is like the the perfect age where, you know, you don't really have the ability to drive a car yet. You're still very like sheltered at home most of the time. And and, like you just don't have a job most of the time. You probably don't have much money. And so I think that that's like a good benchmark. But mostly I just want to create a juniors division um, mirroring what Wizards of the Coast did for um, Magic back in the 2000s. Uh, Many of my friends when I was growing up, when I was 16, 17, uh, I had you know kids that were 15, 14, 13 that were all getting into Magic around the same time as me, and they were able to play in the Junior Super Series. That's what they called it in Magic. And I want right, to do something right. very similar for Lorcana because I feel like kids are going to be 25% or more of the game. And I think that you know we just need to make sure that they feel welcome and that they have a, a, a pleasant tournament experience. And I think that a Junior's Division would be perfect. Anyway, Matt, that is my big picture pitch to you. Give me your full, honest thoughts on it. Uh, I mean, just the uh, the last thing you said, the the junior event is an awesome idea. Uh, I hadn't even considered that. But also, you know, I can already feel myself, you know, looking forward to the next Lorconicon. <laughs> like, that's gonna be, that sounds like a great thing to to look forward to. I see to that big dumb grin on your face. <laughs> Am I going to see you at the next Lorconicon? I hope so. You know, yeah, that kind of thing. Well, you're going to see me there. That's for sure. Uh, I'm going to see you. That was a, an imaginary character in my head. All right. Well, uh, that's basically all I got, man. Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of announce what yeah. we're working on. Uh, Kyle Huck and Taryn Huck from Apex Gaming have been, you know, very kind in their uh, dealings with me, uh, treating me, you know, very respectfully and, and like an equal. And I really appreciate them a lot. And um, I, I've been able to essentially just pitch a lot of my big picture ideas to them and they love it and they help facilitate it in whatever way they can. And I'm yeah. looking forward to working with them a lot in the future. Yeah, uh, I loved the uh, the first Apex event I was able to go to. Can't wait for the next one. And uh, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be great at Lorcana. Uh, give us some great support. They're, I mean, they both just enjoy the game too. When I was talking to, exactly. to well, when I told Kyle about what I wanted to do, uh, he's big boss man. He was just like, I want to play in that Invitational. I want to fight against. Yeah. I want to fight against the world champion. Nathan Stoyer, who might be coming to the event also, just so you know. So a lot of yeah. a lot of a lot for us on the horizon. And uh, the Lost Boys are going to be working with uh, Apex to help facilitate these events to help, you know, basically bring the magic when it comes to Lorcana. And we're really hoping that y'all join us on our on our journey. So, But uh, yeah. that's all I got for this episode. I, I don't know if you got anything you want to shout out from this weekend. You got any uh, props or slops? friends who let you down or uh, I know that I was supposed to go and bailed on you last minute. I hope that didn't ruin your plans yeah. at all. You know, that happened. So, you know, there's a layup right there. Slops the Todd for bailing. <laughs> no, I set myself up. <laughs> but props, uh, props to Bryce Morgan. Uh, Bryce is a local grinder from Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, known for playing blue eye control and pioneer. And I got to show him Lorcana, and he took to it immediately. Nice. And we were playing, uh, we were playing an aggro deck against a control deck, and he was loving that. And then I said, I also have this combo deck. And he was like, Oh yeah, show me that one. Yeah. And I said, Now do you want to play the combo deck or the control deck? He's like, <laughs> Give me the control deck. Okay. And we had, you know absolute slobber knocker of a game. It was great. He won with like one card left in his deck, uh, and I think I converted him. That's pretty easy to say. 
Well, as far as I can tell, it's pretty easy to convert people because it's just a good That's game. True. It's just a really good game with great flavor and a rock solid IP. And uh, I think it's going to live forever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for The Lost Boys, episode number two. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to check us out on all of our socials. We'll post that in the show notes. Uh, You can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash lostboys, L-O-R. That's Lost Boys, L-O-R. And we post up free articles uh, multiple times per week for you all to get your competitive fix. We also have, uh, this is going to be playing on YouTube, but it's also going to be available wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you'd rather listen to it in audio forms, we're going to have it on Spotify, Apple, all that. Um, make sure also to follow us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash lost boys, L O R. And yeah, that's going to do it. I think. Yep. All that's right. All I got, uh, last but not least, I want to give a huge shout out to our show's sponsor. And, we have uh, a sponsor out of Fairfax, Virginia, and it's uh, Games and Comics Paradise. Games and Comics Paradise out of Fairfax is your one-stop shop for everything you need in the TCG space, from Pokemon to Yu-Gi-Oh to Magic the Gathering, and now Lorcana. Make sure to check out gcparadise.com for anything you might need. Big shout-out to them for making sure that we can live our dreams, right? All right, well, Absolutely. thanks, Matt, for episode number two of The Lost Boys. I'm Tandy. That's Bo Matt. That's Bo Matt. We'll see you next time.